and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael. Good morning. Howdy, how are you? I'm good, yeah. I'm back from America. Yes. Uh, I know we were due to record the podcast earlier in the week, but due to the fact that in the deepest south of Texas, they don't really seem to have grasped the concept of fast Wi-Fi yet, it wasn't really a possibility. So thank you everyone for your patience in, uh, in, in the episode coming a bit later on this week, but we'll endeavour to make up for it in the content that we provide for you. Yes, absolutely, and we will get cracking with the FA Cup. What a weekend for some, maybe not for others, but we'll start with the sum for Manchester United. Manchester United beat Tottenham 2-1, and it was a, an odd game really, because Spurs looked to be on top very early doors in this one, and they took the early lead, and it was very easy for them. Manchester United really gave them a, a fair few opportunities to stretch the lead as well, and you just thought potentially this is it this is Spurs year this is when they're going to progress to the cup final and they obviously have the semi-home advantage being at Wembley as well and it just didn't pan out like that at all did it no it didn't and you you almost associate Tottenham this season with when they get the first goal going on to get two and three and they just didn't do that in this game and that was the problem they allowed Manchester United back into the game and um, we'll come on and talk about the pub Pogba involvement in the uh, Manchester United equaliser shortly but Tottenham had their tails up from the start and they just didn't press home the advantage Manchester United looked really shaky at the back to start with and obviously Dele Alli's finished the ball well but there, were, there was just far too much space for Christian Eriksen who's shown in recent weeks that he's been the catalyst for Tottenham and, and, and if you're allowing that that much room then naturally he's going to create chances the the problem that Pochettino had was he wasn't able to combat the central midfield of Manchester United and and both Pogba, Matic and Herrera interchanged throughout the first half and that allowed Manchester United to create a few chances. Lukaku probably should have done better with a header um, which if he had, if he'd headed it back across goal like Sanchez did for the equaliser probably would have gone in and um, I think that one all at half time was probably a fair reflection of the first half. Yeah I think you're right and an interesting point on the midfield there I think that's where you get the best out of Pogba you've got two other players there that are quite happy to just sit in and, and do the dirty work for him as well so y- you're going to get the best out of him and as you said he was involved in the equaliser um, very rare that you see Dembele lose the ball uh, particularly being out muscled and out strength and Pogba did very well and you have to give him a lot of credit and the ball that he put in as well was fantastic and the header also from Sanchez I think that the header was um, underrated a little bit yeah. I think the fact that he managed to guide it into the opposite corner and give Michel Vorm absolutely no chance showed that um, he was thinking about the chance. It wasn't one of these where um, he just snatched at it. And he could have done because it's a big occasion. But I think he showed the the amount of class that he's got in that position. And, and he's not had the easiest start to life at Manchester United, admittedly. And I think the, the problem has been that they've got a wealth of attacking talent and he's not really been put in one position. Yeah. Maybe he's found that now. And, and, and Manchester United will hope that he'll press on because they will want him to be the starter in their front three next season. And I think he showed the way that he got into different positions behind the Tottenham back line that not many players have managed to do this season. Um, that's something that that you, you associate with Alexis Sanchez. His movement is so good and Tottenham just weren't able to cope with him towards the end of the first half and also the start of the second. Yeah, and you know it's a little bit of luck that, that got the winning goal for them. It's a good finish from uh, Herrera, but from there, it was, it was disappointing again from Spurs. You know, they obviously have a lot of quality within their team and, and to a certain extent the squad as well but they just seem quite one-dimensional and you worry that obviously they did the same against Juventus earlier in the season just a few weeks ago and you, you worry that they don't necessarily have that extra gear or whether it's 
uh, the personnel or the confidence within the team or potentially the strategy from the manager as well. I think it's probably a, a combination of, of all of those things that are causing some of the problems for them and, and not enabling them to push on to the next level. I think the problem that Tottenham have is that defensively they haven't been good enough in the big games. We've seen all season that they can score goals. That's not the problem. And I think Pochettino's just been a little bit too proud when it's come to this situation with Toby Alderweireld. He is, if not one of the best defenders in the Premier League. Yeah. And I wonder whether the whole contract situation has got in the way of what Tottenham could have achieved this season. If he'd have played in the, the Champions League games, if he'd have played in this semi-final, I think they would have had a much more solid base to go and beat Manchester United. Instead, he's gone with Davinson Sanchez, who doesn't have as much experience and I'm sure will turn out to be a very good footballer. But it's almost like cutting your nose off to spite your face. Why would you not play your best team in the biggest game that the club have had for a long yeah. time? Um, and I think he'll go in the summer. I think it'll be another one like Kyle Walker and, and possibly another one like Danny Rose. And sometimes you have to think about the team rather than the issue that you've had with one particular person. I think that that's where Pochettino at the moment is struggling as a manager. Ferguson was able to deal with these situations, as was Arsene Wenger, and what he would do is he would wait until the end of the season, and at that point that player would be moved on. But all the time they're at the club, use your best resources, and that could have been the difference between them progressing to the final or not. No, you're absolutely right. I think Spurs have uh, a great opportunity to progress and push on to that next level, and they've got a great manager there as well who potentially is is able to steer them in that direction um obviously there's there's a lot of talk about what happens behind the scenes at spurs and not paying the wages that other clubs do and potentially that's going to detriment them at some point but as you've said with the defense you know Kyle Walker's the one that that kind of was the one to move on and, and make that first step and look what he's done this year he's won the league he's won the cup doubled his wages and there's there's going to be players in that squad potentially looking at that thinking do you know what we've got the opportunity to do that but I think overall for Spurs they've got the opportunity next year to move into the new stadium they're they're pretty much guaranteed Champions League football now and I would imagine they'll take that over a cup for a consistent period of time anyway maybe the next couple of years they'll happily sacrifice a cup for consistent uh, qualification yeah I think the fans will I think the board won't um, sorry the other way around I think I think the the board will be happy with top four. I think the fans want more. And I think that I spoke earlier in the season about the fact that I think that a good manager brings you consistent top four finishes and, and the odd trophy doesn't necessarily make you the best manager in the world. And you, you look at the likes of uh, Roberto Martinez versus somebody like Pochettino and I think everybody knows who they'd rather have in charge of yeah. their club. But actually, if you look at trophies won in England over the last five, ten years, there's only one of them who's got one. So it's it's different circumstances for, for for different teams. I think that we need to give Manchester United some credit before we move on because Mourinho's got them to cup finals consistently since he's been at the club and uh, like him or not, like his style of football or not, he is bringing trophies back to that club and that's that's massive for them. Um, the trouble that they've got at the moment is obviously Manchester City are, are streaks ahead of them in terms of the quality of football that they play and also the quality of footballs that they possess. But all the time that Manchester United can knock on the door, bring trophies in, they've got opportunities of bringing the best footballers in the world into the football club and they've shown that they're, that they're willing to compete with wages I think their main issue has been their recruitment policy if they get somebody in who can recruit better for that football club there's absolutely no reason why they can't challenge but at this stage they're going to have to settle for the likes of the FA Cup and as we saw last season the League Cup yeah I think the the, the gap between the two sides Manchester City and Manchester United is is potentially really beneficial for Manchester United this season. We've got, um, as as you've said, they've got the funds to be able to go out and spend. And 
I think potentially the the gap this season shows that they are probably one or two short of that. So I, I think it's a pivotal pivotal season for Mourinho himself next year. Um, I think he will accept the fact that they are certainly in a cup final. They've got a decent chance of winning this competition and. Again, second place as well is nothing to be sniffed at, and I think he himself will strive for that extra step next year. So yeah, it's it's, it's going to be an interesting one. But as you say, massive credit to them just for getting through that semi final. Yeah, the final word on Manchester United: they are judged on league titles and league titles alone. We've talked about Tottenham and, and judging them on top four is probably a pretty good yardstick, but they're judged on league titles. If Mourinho can't bring the league back to Manchester United next season, I don't think he'll be there at the start of the season after. Yeah, I agree. Their opponents in the final: Chelsea. Um, I, I, I'll say it from a, a neutral perspective first and then we'll get yours afterwards but to be honest I thought the right was on the wall for Southampton after the first 10-15 minutes Chelsea had a lot of the ball plenty of clear chances but it just it wasn't happening and you think maybe the, the, the semi-final the occasions possibly getting to them and Southampton get the chance but to, to come away from that game 2-0 is possibly a a, a good result for Southampton in the grand scheme of things? <laughs> Difficult to say really. I, I, I think 2-0 is probably a fair result. I don't think that we deserved anything out of the game but I do think that it could have been very different had we just done a couple of things differently. I think the the fact that we switched off so easily at the start of the second half and, and let's not take anything away from Olivier Giroud because it was a great finish and not necessarily something that he's known for but we had four defenders against one striker there and that's just not good enough to allow him to beat that many men he's not Messi he's not Ericsson within, he's not within a small space as well absolutely and, and it's simple don't dive in in the six yard box just hold a man up and he's not known for that that side of his game and that's why you would expect the defenders to be able to deal with that situation better Um. The other mistake, and and I think this really comes down to ability as opposed to to tactics and training, was playing Shane Long up front. I think that it would work having Charlie Austin up front with somebody else, but I think in this case he should have gone for Manolo Gabbiadini. He's shown that he's good on the big occasion. He scored two, should have had three at Wembley last season in the cup final Mm -hmm. against Manchester United. And that chance that Shane Long had in the second half where... All he had to do was basically take it around the keeper and put it in the net. I, I'm absolutely convinced that Gabbiadini would have scored. We were unlucky with a couple of chances. The the shot from Redmond that Caballero saved when it was almost behind him, and um, we've hit the post as well. I think that if those goes in, it, sorry, if those go in, it's it's a completely different game. But on the other hand, Chelsea created a lot, and we rode our luck at times, and and they they could have had three or four goals. So I think on reflection, a two goal margin is probably a fair one, but maybe three one would have been the right result in the end. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in recent weeks, Southampton have looked relatively sharper uh, moving up the pitch and created a few more chances, which has been great to see, but they're still just they're let down by, uh, I don't know whether it's a lack of confidence, organisation and focus, combination of the three, and, uh, you know, Hughes hasn't had long enough to work with this team to be able to really do much on those things. It's just been a case of, right, I know what I've got in my at my disposal, I'm just going to have to just work with that and see what I can do and I think one of the biggest issues for Southampton this season has been scoring goals and obviously he's managed to change that but whether it's at the detriment of the organisation the defence or whether it's just actually that's not been great either and he hasn't had a chance to focus on that I'm not sure I think the problem that we've got is that we don't have a leader in the in the back three as he's playing at the moment the three centre halves are, are all looking at each other for, for who's going to go and win that ball or who's going to go and um, mark the striker when it comes to a corner or that sort of thing and and 
that's the problem. If you don't have defensive organisation when you're in a bad moment, you, you're going to struggle to get out of it. And, and obviously, since Hughes has come in, we've shipped goals. Um, yes, we've scored them down the other end, but ultimately, it's we, you only need one football match to, to, to turn a season. And, and, and we would have to get a clean sheet in one of those because at the moment, I can't see us likely scoring more than one against one of the opponents that we've got down there. It, it, it troubles me that there are probably small changes that could have been made in January yeah. to keep hold of Virgil van Dijk for another four months and then almost make an agreement with Liverpool that he can come to you in the summer. And I think if he'd still be there, we wouldn't be going down. I think that without that leadership and, and also the likes of Romeo, Lamina and Hoiberg haven't provided anywhere near as much protection as those three centre-halves need. So the players have to take a lot of responsibility for it. The previous manager has to take a lot of responsibility for it, but ultimately, I think the the the, the main issue this season has been the board and their lack of um, urgency when it com- came yeah. to firing the previous manager, and it, and it all comes back to that. Things could have been so different, um, but I think Chelsea deserve credit. They were the best team on the day, and um, Conte's got a chance to salvage the season before, presumably, he leaves Chelsea in the summer. And how much would he love that as well to get on over Mourinho? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting final. We're looking forward to it. But join us after this short break where we will catch up with the Championship, Hertha Berlin, and then after that, the Premier League. FA Cup. Herrera, what type of midfield is Herrera? He's not a box-to-box. Yeah. He's not defensive. Well he can't do a fucking killer pass. Why is he on the fucking pitch for for what? Is he part of a lot of deadwood that we need to get rid of? Yeah. Why? Of course he fucking is. There's a lot of fucking dead without getting fucking gone. City have come here and fucking bossed us at Old Trafford. This is Man United you're talking about. City have come here and fucking bossed us. We've heaved it. Rojo, we got lucky on the fucking goal. What has he? What was his tactics? As soon as you get it, Rojo, just fucking boo it. We're not fucking Stoke. We're man fucking United here. We should be battling fucking them. That was diabolical out there. Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast and we are taking a trip to the Championship and it all started with a huge game on Friday night with two form sides up against each other. Fulham looking to pile the pressure on Cardiff ahead of their game the following day as they faced playoff chasing Millwall at the Den and it was indeed Fulham that did keep the pressure on with a blistering second half performance where they quite frankly blew Millwall away with three goals and Championship Player of the Year Ryan Sessegnon scored the first, Kevin McDonnell the second and Mitrovic, obviously it wouldn't be a Fulham game without Mitrovic scoring, got a late goal to add to his recent good run of form. It was Cardiff then who had to respond and respond they did with a 2-1 win at home against Nottingham Forest. They then also had their game in hand to play against Derby County on Tuesday evening. We remember that Neil Warnock was livid that this was uh, postponed previously due to the snow. And he's probably livid afterwards as well because they took the lead and then ended up going down 3-1. Uh, the game was turning its head in the second half when... Former Cardiff man Cameron Jerome, who me and Mike spoke about not long ago and genuinely had no idea where he was. But he's uh, banging the goals in for Derby. And uh, yeah, it was a, a fantastic result for them. Um, they're very much still amongst the playoff places as well. Uh, but for Cardiff, uh, there's only a point between them and Fulham in third. And then three points behind Fulham are Aston Villa, who were very impressive in a 4 0 win um, away at Portman Road at, at Ipswich. And managerless Ipswich as well they very much looked managerless because they looked like they were taking part in a training game there was no kind of real intensity at all they were very much on the beach and Villa just looked comfortable free-flowing football and if nothing else just continues the good run and form and provides another clean sheet as well 
looks like Villa might be playing Middlesbrough yes, in, the, uh, in the playoff semi-finals. I, yeah, I mean, at the minute, I I would fancy us against anyone. Uh, I'd rather even Fulham. Well, I was just about to say I'd rather Fulham went up automatically. Uh, I think Cardiff have got the potential to choke at the minute. Um, Fulham, in a one-off game, different story. I think if you can play them over two legs, then I think you're going to struggle to get anything. Certainly at Craven Cottage, and uh, as we've seen this weekend, they can go away and beat anyone. But yeah, I mean Middlesbrough are. Um, are a dangerous it's fair to say and Tony Pulis knows how to win a game if he has to just battle it out and make it as awkward as possible for you as well um, but and you know we've got two tough games coming up the last two games we've got Derby at home and Millwall away so you know they're the teams that we're, we're likely to be playing that sort of calibre so hopefully we can keep up a decent run of form and, and take the momentum into the playoffs um, elsewhere at the top of the table it's worth saying that uh, Wolves were confirmed as champions with a, a relatively easy 4-0 away win at Bolton and uh, it's a, a late playoff surge from Brentford uh, which was helped further with a, a 2-1 win over local rivals QPR which leaves them only three points behind Derby um, who were in that last playoff place so Brentford have effectively come from nowhere because I don't think anybody saw that a few weeks ago um, and then at the bottom it was the end of the road for Sunderland who had their relegation confirmed in the worst but most unsurprising way possible losing 2-1 at home to Burton Albion and they find themselves following their impressive win against Derby last week, giving themselves a real chance of survival when pretty much everyone had written them off. And Barnsley lost two games. They had a game in hand as well. Um, and Bolton, of course, lost heavily to Wolves, meaning the gap between Burton and Bolton is just two points. Barnsley level with Burton as well. All the Bs. All the Bs indeed. And this weekend sees two of them come up against each other. Burton host Bolton in somewhat winner-takes-all game. And if Bolton win, they're safe. Burton go down. If Burton win, they go above Bolton. You don't know what's going on. Not do you? really. Too many no, bees. no, no. All the bees. Yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of a like sounded a bit like a nursery rhyme. That a bit like Peter Piper and all that stuff. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, looking forward to this weekend. It'd be uh, be interesting to see what happens. A bit of a cup final there. Cup final in Germany, or just very little to play for? Well, we talked about the the end of the season being a bit of a damp scrib for Hertha, given what's happened over well the past few months, really. And um, obviously, they they got a win last week, which was yep. uh, optimism Shock. in the ranks. And uh, they faced a really difficult game away at Eintracht Frankfurt, who were about five points above them in a couple of places in the league. But they went there and they won three nil away from home. And uh, yeah possibly too late to creep into Europa League places but there's still a slim chance and the game looked to be going down the usual route when it was nil nil at half time but the lads emerged with a greater sense of urgency after the break and sh- scored shortly after when Davy Selka earned and scored a penalty and VAR got involved in this one yep. yet again then the sparky Matthew Leckie grabbed a second just before Frankfurt had a man sent off before substitute Alexander Esvine completed the scoring in injury time Augsburg up next for the lads and hopefully they'll continue this impressive run for the next three games indeed will join us after the break for the Premier League roundup get in there well done he's 13 game set and match Owen Welcome back to part three of this week's Sweeper podcast and it's time to go to the Premier League where Arsenal beat West Ham 4-1, the first game following Arsene Wenger's shock announcement that he'd be leaving the club in the summer. It was a shock as well, I was very surprised to see this on uh, on Friday morning and it was uh, 
It's quite sad, really. Um, I mean, I'm not even an Arsenal fan. I felt a bit bit sad about the whole situation. It's the end of an era, isn't it? And, yeah. and I think we owe Arsene Wenger a huge amount as a country because he's really changed the way that we think about football and um, the, the, the fact that he was pretty much unknown when he came into Arsenal. Yeah. Nobody had really heard of him. And I know that there were links with him taking over um, as a future FA technical director. He'd been linked with that role and that was something that they saw could be the blueprint for a change within the FA and I think he probably would have done a great job in there um, and Arsenal were lucky to get him and I, I know that we've talked this season certainly about the fact that he could have tarnished his reputation by staying there for this long but I think when you look at it over the the amount of years that he's been at Arsenal and the amount that he's achieved there I, I just don't think that's possible I, I think that even given the recent struggles he's um, been so magnanimous throughout the whole process never got annoyed with the reporters, never basically shown any of the um, immaturity that somebody like Mourinho has shown. And I think he's a he's a class man, he's a class manager, and I think there'll be a queue of clubs waiting to take him in the summer, and it'll be really interesting to see where he's going to go. Yeah, you can almost put Arsenal's success and movement into a complete new level down to, to him as an individual. Um, he came in, and as we say, he, he revolutionised the, the English game. Um, there was a lot of influence coming from him to other managers of the clubs, other players. Um, but for Arsenal themselves, they he was focal point to the move into a new stadium. Um, some of the players that have come, he's personally developed them, um, but equally he's attracted them as well. And you, you just look at somebody like that who can have that impact as an individual. There's very few managers throughout not only our lifetimes but even before then that would be able to have that influence and you know for us uh, he's been at that club for most of our football watching and supporting lives so to now see him go see the next chapter of Arsenal um, and hopefully that legacy continues to grow as a result of all the hard work that he's put in. Yeah absolutely I, I think that one really interesting point is the fact that he he has publicly explain that he wants no part in the decision of who the new manager is going to yeah. be and it's interesting given what happened with Mourinho uh, sorry not Mourinho with with Alex Ferguson and and how he basically recommended da- David Moyes to the to the board at Old Trafford and was very involved in the process of getting him there and I think that Wenger is doing the right thing here because he's he's allowing the club to to make the decision themselves it's a complete break and it is a difficult one because you know whoever's going to go in there is going to have a tough job yeah. in terms of achieving anything like what Arsene Wenger's achieved there the the bonus for them is that Arsenal haven't really challenged the the league title or challenged for the league title over the last few years and that will be the number one target for whoever goes in there it would be lovely to see Arsenal win the Europa League now I think that yeah. Um, everyone other than probably Tottenham fans will be behind them doing that and, and, and it will be a fitting send-off for a man that's brought so much to the English game. The fact that he's led a team to the title completely unbeaten, regardless of how many draws there were in that, is incredible and I still don't think that anyone surpassed that side that he's had in terms of Premier League quality. You can talk about the Manchester Cities, you can talk about the Manchester United treble winning team, but ultimately nobody's been good enough to take a team through 38 games and not lose a single game and not only does that take a huge amount from a playing point of view and and, and the ability that those players had but the mental firmness that Arsene Wenger was able to instill in those players is not really comparable to any other team 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we could sit here for, for hours talking about Arsene Wenger and what he's done for this game, what he's done for that club. And I think it, it's important to look at the next chapter now and, and what happens to them. And they have a, a an amazing platform to, to start from. Whoever comes in um, and the direction of the club that they choose to go in, um, they have a, a stadium in one of the biggest cities in the world. Uh, they have a lot of money. Um, a lot of appeal. They they are successful in their history, but also have the potential to be successful even with the tools that they've got at the moment. Um, they do need strengthening, and, and there's no doubt about that. They probably do need some fresh ideas. The players that are there, but what a what a platform to build on that somebody's got coming in. And personally, I'd like to see someone. I wouldn't say necessarily untried and untested, but someone quite young come in, quite Vieira, dynamic. Omri, Vieira, one of those Some, two. Someone like that, yeah, I've seen Arteta link with it, possibly too early for him as well, but someone in that mould who has probably worked under Wenger as well, knows the fabric of that club, um, and, and he's able to then stamp their own authority on it as well. But yeah, someone like Patrick Vieira, would, it would be amazing to see someone come back, do a, a really, really good job, um, not tarnish their reputations uh, and potentially build their own legacy as well. Absolutely right. The the current f- front runner for the job is Luis Enrique, the yeah. uh, the ex Barcelona boss, which would be a bit of a strange move because he's obviously been out of football for a little while and he did well at Barcelona. That's that's absolutely fair to say. But I don't think that he's in the necessarily in the ilk of somebody who would go in and understand that club straight away. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that the the understanding of what that football club means to the people in in the city of London uh, and and the amount that Arsene Wenger's built so far could be ruined a little bit by getting somebody in who doesn't understand the Premier League who hasn't got the um, experience of, of, of working for a club like that well look at David Moyes he got rid of all the backroom staff at Manchester United he took away the fabric that was left after Ferguson left and he you, could, you can say what you want about Moyes and whether he would have been a success there or not I would suggest that he would have had a better time had he not got rid of all of those people. So to either get someone in who knows the club or to have someone there who's happy to take on kind of what's already there um, and and the the kind of structure that's in place already. Enrique would have done that at Barcelona, but that's a completely different kettle of fish. That's almost an easy job to walk into to a certain extent at Barcelona and has been since certainly Guardiola was there if not before 100% agree with you it's going to be an incredibly intriguing summer at Arsenal and uh, obviously we'll follow the movements there closely we need to touch on the game because yep. um, I think that the Arsenal players were probably pretty motivated by the news and, and they obviously came out and started the game really well a great finish from Nacho Monreal from, from an Aaron Ramsey corner and I think he's got more goals this season than he has in his whole career and he's I think maybe one behind Alonso so far in the leading defender yeah table if that's what you want to call it but um he's been good for Arsenal this season I think he's he's, he's shown more going forward and um then obviously they were pegged back and a, a really well taken goal from Marco Anantovic I think that West Ham have have really looked to him as a focal point for their season similar in the way that Crystal Palace do with Wilfred Zahar and when he's not playing well West Ham generally struggling it looked at that stage as though an unlikely draw may be on the cards yeah, um, until they were gifted the lead again, Arsenal, when Aaron Ramsey's cross was left by Declan Rice and it sailed past Joe Hart. 
some sort of miscommunication between the two. I, I think Declan Rice looks like he's held his hands up for that one. I don't think that you can blame Joe Hart as no. much as I'd love to. I don't think that you can on this one. I think that Declan Rice just ducks, and whether you think that your goalkeeper is going to get there, unless you have a shout, you can't do that. Yeah. It, the easiest thing to do in that situation is head the ball away, and there was no danger whatsoever. A little bit surprised at Aaron Ramsey's celebration to uh, celebrate a, a goal that's gone in like that in such a exuberant manner is uh, maybe... A, fragrant display of his character but um, but yeah and then Arsenal obviously punished them even more uh, with, with, with two further goals in the closing minutes and somebody who's come in for criticism previously certainly from us too and also from, from other media outlets is, is, is Alexandre Lacazette but he took both both goals really well he did and um, it was Aubameyang who came off the bench as well earlier and he linked very well with him and I think the two of them could potentially have a very good partnership I think if they have the you know the rest of the season the summer to to play together and and maybe build something for next season and again you know this is one of the things that the new manager can take on board absolutely right and obviously a quick word on West Ham they they picked up a point against Stoke last week and um, no points obviously at Arsenal they'll they'll be absolutely fine they're not going to go down but they absolutely need strength in the summer and they need to do something about that defence that they need to sign a new goalkeeper and I think they're attacking talent may well be be raided by some bigger clubs because they've got players there who've scored goals this season under a relatively poor management team and um, it's going to be another interesting summer off the pitch at West Ham which it seems to be every year. Speaking of goals, Manchester City grabbed five of them and I'm not sure anyone gave Swansea much of a chance here before before the game but you know they were bang on, City were extremely comfortable, they, they won playing the football that has impressed everyone all season and their, their build-up play the intricacies were, were there for all to see and it's fantastic to see the, the the game and how it panned out and I thought you know despite all the attacking talent I, I thought we'd probably give Fabian Delph another mention because I hate him for everything that happened when he left Villa but he's been fantastic this season it was fantastic on the day and it was a day that saw Benjamin Mendy come back as well and I'm intrigued to see what happens with Fabian Delph next year. Is he is he just the backup left back, or does he actually become more focal point of the team where he's slotting in for Fernandinho? Probably hasn't had enough rest periods this season. One of the main transfer targets for Manchester City in the summer is Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk, and he's obviously exactly like Fernandinho yeah. in many ways, and that would suggest that Fabian Delph's got no place in that holding midfield position for Manchester City. If I was him, I would absolutely be be gunning for that first team spot yep. left back because he's slotted in so well there and he's showed his versatility and he's clearly somebody who despite his lack of advice maybe when he was at Villa um, has has been intelligent enough to be able to reshape his game and who better to do that under than Guardiola and I think if he was to go to the manager at, at any point and say actually I want to go back to the position that I was playing in it would probably rub Guardiola up the wrong way he's put so much work into developing different sides of, of, of Delft's game and um, he had a great game Against, yeah. against Swansea and uh, obviously he was involved in the goals and defensively looked solid too and, and it just shows the difference between playing in such a good team it brings players on and, and, and we've seen that this year from Manchester City yeah and it's, it's funny actually despite having just won the league and, and the atmosphere of the day it seemed like the biggest cheer of the day came from Mendy when he came on and it's been great value since he's been out and it, he he looked to have a, a lot of ability before he got injured as well so yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes on next year um, but goal of the game came from Kevin De Bruyne and he hasn't scored since January which think maybe one of the reasons why he lost out to, to Mo Salah in Player of the Year and, and we'll get onto that afterwards but again he's, his play throughout has just been phenomenal and he has an eye for goal like that and it's a shame that we didn't see a little bit more of that for the last few months. I think you've hit the nail on the head there I saw a stat um, earlier in the week which said that every 
season that the PFA Player of the Year has been announced, they've always come from the team that have won the Premier League, yeah. other than in the three seasons that Manchester City have won the Premier League. And that's due to the style of football that they play. They don't always have one person who sticks out as being the absolute beacon, the absolute shining yeah. light. And it's it's probably harsh on De Bruyne that he's not picked it up. But unfortunately for him, Salah's just been on a different level this yeah. year. And um, the likes of David Silva, the likes of um, Bernardo Silva, Aguero, Jesus, Leroy Sane, all of these have had pivotal roles to play in this season for Manchester City. And, and yes, De Bruyne has probably been the most positive in terms of how Guardiola's turned his form around from last season but ultimately Manchester City shouldn't care about PFA player of the season They all they should care about is the fact that they've won the league yeah. and they've won it at an absolute canter Absolutely and, and Swansea quick word on them still not far from the drop at all and it, you know it's very much in their hands and I think particularly when you look at the games they've got left they've got games against Stoke and Southampton and I think the the biggest issue for them this weekend was the goal difference was made worse than than those two clubs, and that that could be really interesting come the end of the season. It's, I, I mean, I'm convinced it's over. I, I'm convinced that four points is is absolutely far too many for Southampton to overturn. Um, the fact that Southampton placed Swansea, I also think that it could have been more interesting had it been earlier in the season. But the fact that it's going to be the penultimate game of the season, I think it'll all be done by then, anyway. Um, the only thing that could cost Swansea is defensively going back to where they were earlier in the season. I think that Carvajal's brought real solidity into that team and at about 3 or 4 nil in this game they almost tried to shut up shop um, which isn't really the way to play. You may as well throw men forward and try and get a couple of goals back on the break because then that's going to impact your uh, your goal difference they, in a positive manner. They could have lost like 7 or 8 as well. Constantly. They could have done but then they also had a few chances. Alfie yeah. Mawson missed a really good chance and, and he obviously put a header over the bar and I, I still think that Swansea will be absolutely fine. I think that Carvajal's done a great job there, but if they only finish one point above the relegation zone, it won't look as comfortable as as it might have done a few weeks ago, where it looked as though they might even push for sort of top of the bottom half. And speaking of relegation zone, Stoke won, Burnley won, and Stoke, th- this looked like it could have been it. They were the better side in the first half, deserved the lead, and they would just rue the chances they missed, particularly the one missed by Jeef. It was a great ball in from Bauer. And just just woeful from Jeep. I, I I'm not a huge fan. I don't particularly rate him. Um, and I think that the level of player in in Stoke squad is is clear to see that that's why they're down there. But he um, yeah, you know, on any other day, most of the strikers would lap that up and and put them two 0 up. And it's a completely different game then. That's right, and that's the kind of chance that somebody like Arnautovic would have gobbled up. He would yeah. have been. Um, probably hit it first time and if not he would have had the composure to, to bring it down and wait for the Burnley defence to get back in position before shifting on to the right and putting it past the keeper and you just you just wonder with Stoke whether it's been the lack of goal score. I know that they've conceded a lot of goals this season but you just wonder if it's been the lack of firepower which will ultimately leads them going down Well even the game against West Ham last week they didn't really show anything until Peter Crouch came on and he was the one that caused the issues and you, you think sometimes with with, with not just Stoke with with a number of clubs they try and play a, a slightly different style of play that doesn't necessarily suit them and you know we've, we've spoke about West Brom a lot this season and the changes they made from Pulis that their team is almost built around the fact that they can play to their strengths being one dimensional and, and Stoke to a certain extent are, are very similar to that they've generally got workman like midfielders um, they would generally like to get the ball out wide and put it into someone up front and there's not really still that many people that you would want up front in that situation than Peter Crouch. 
potentially someone playing off him. But you know, he he seems to be the focal point when he's on there, and I would see them getting more success out of that than than not. To be honest, yeah, I agree with you. I think that if they are able to maintain the players that they've got, they'll probably do quite well in the championship yeah. because the style of play that they've adopted since Lambert's come in will suit them, and and they've got big strong players which is is massive in the championship and and like I say I think they're down because I think that Southampton are down above them so that's why I'm 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 not convinced that they can stay up and and I think it will be the bottom 3 who yeah. will who will be relegated but you just you just wonder whether they've got the right manager in Paul Lambert to bring them back up and obviously he's had success in the championship previously with Norwich and um it may well be that he's the right man for them but Sometimes when it when it comes to a club being relegated, you need a fresh start in the summer. And we talk about Mark Hughes at Southampton as well. Does the whole place need a lift when you've just been taken down? And are you able to achieve that with the same manager in charge? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you know we. Uh, I, I talk from a Villa perspective. We got Steve Bruce in because he knows that league. He's very good in that league and really shown that. You know, we had a disappointing season last season, but. This season, we've been much improved. He's managed to bring uh, a couple of, of very good players in as well, uh, who've made the difference. And that experience, Neil Warnock as well, he's got Cardiff potentially in the Premier League, which is just, you would have been unfathomable at the start of the season. And, y- you know, you look to that sort of experience, who've been there, done it, had success. And yes, Lambert has to a certain extent, but. He's been in and out of different clubs. He's been in and out of the league, and you just think you need that consistency from from that league. Um, and I think you're right. I'm not sure he's the right man. But let's have a quick word on Burnley. I think there's you know this particular game. There's few clubs that you really want to come up against when you put under the cosh, and they are still looking to to play for something this season. So they was they were going to go for it, and as soon as them balls are being floated into the box that side will score goals eventually and really they were unlucky not to get more from this game. Totally agree. They're able to adapt their style Burnley which is really important for anyone wanting to achieve in this in this league and um, they can go long when they need to, they can put balls in the box when they need to but equally they can play good football and um, I think that if they, they're able to get into the Europa League I think they'll do quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Again, in the relegation zone, uh, West Brom. Uh, West Brom 2, Liverpool 2 and, and Liverpool took the early lead in this one. It was uh, Danny Ings, rare start and a goal here and then Went 2-0 up in the second half through PFA Player of the Year, Mo Salah, who scored again and was, of course, able to celebrate with that award. And I think just a, a very quick word on, on him. We've spoken about him pretty much every week because he scored every week because he's done something. Um, and he's just been fantastic and fully deserved of this award. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who was criticised in the summer following his move because people had only ever seen him at Chelsea they hadn't seen what he'd done at Roma and um, we'll come on to talk about the game between those two clubs in a second but the the most um, impressive thing about Salah this season has been his run of scoring goals and, and, and when he hasn't scored goals he's assisted goals and you very rarely see this sort of season from a midfielder it just doesn't happen very often and Liverpool have been able to give him a chance in a different position which yeah. he wasn't able to play in at Roma and the fact that now he's been installed as the favourite to win the Ballon d'Or shows you how good he's been this season. Nobody has broken that duopoly between yep. Ronaldo and Messi for a long, long time. And the fact that Salah's even in for a shout means that he must have had a great season. The fact that he's favourite to win it just shows how good he's been. It, it's not just the amount of goals as well. The goals that he's scored have generally been of the highest calibre. Um, you know, he scored... Um, 
from, from long distances. But then one-on-ones with goalkeepers, it, you just fancy him every single time. And he's got that knack of just taking it quite late on. Um, he almost makes the keeper decide first and then he just does whatever he needs to to beat him and yeah he's, he's been fantastic and he's been the catalyst to Liverpool season uh, as a whole and, and you know we'll talk about the Champions League uh, in a short while but again they wouldn't be in the position they're in without him. Absolutely not and that's why they need to ensure that they tie him down to a contract. Yeah. I know that he signed a long term one when he came in the summer but to to really show a statement of intent and try and keep the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona away from him in the summer, they need him to sign one, maybe even before the end of this season, because it, it, I think that he's going to be the main transfer target for the biggest clubs in the world now. And with all respect to Liverpool, they are one of the biggest clubs in the world, but they're not in that bracket of sort of four or five teams who can poach players from pretty much anywhere. And, and, and money talks in the Premier League. We know that. We know that players like Coutinho have gone in the past and, and, and Liverpool do have a price and that's where they need to consider whether they want to have a really good tilt at the title next season and if so you don't sell anyone in the summer you maybe just strengthen by adding to the likes of Naby Keita um, or whether they want to basically try and start again and use the salary money to try and buy other players but we've seen in the past when they sold Luis Suarez that didn't work they tried to bring in players to replace him and then almost went downhill for a few seasons so Really interesting one for them, really interesting one for him and, and absolutely deserving of this award. We do, however, need to talk about and give some credit to West Brom. Yeah, we do. Um, despite being 2-0 down and facing next season in the Championship, they, they showed there is fight in there. and uh, they, they got the goal back and then an equaliser. and it, They've been fantastic since Darren Moore's come in and, and they've showed a real spirit and passion that I, I don't think they showed before. And you know, Most importantly, just pride and respect for the shirt and the club. And... You know, I I can't slate Pardew anymore this season, really. But they didn't show that when he was there. And you know, Darren Moore, you would say on the face of it, is is fairly limited with his coaching abilities and his experience. But he's clearly got them going and got them doing something. And I'd really like to see him throw his hat in the ring for a, a job on a permanent basis. And it's almost the opposite to what we talk about with Paul Lambert and Mark Hughes, where they've gone into a club that were already on the decline and have struggled to turn things round. He's been there throughout, and actually, when the manager's left, he's shown more in the last two games, away at Manchester United and home to Liverpool, yep. than Pardew showed in the 15 or so games that he was there previously. And I think that they, if they can finish the season with a strong run of results, there's absolutely no reason why they won't appoint him in the summer. Give the guy a chance. They're going to go into the Championship. They're going to have parachute payments. They're going to have money to spend. They'll probably get some of the high earners off the books and um, give him a crack at it there's no reason not to ultimately in the championship you've got to roll the dice and there's so many teams in there who've got the ability of getting back up why not give somebody like this a chance at a club that he's been at for so long absolutely good good luck to Darren Moore and, and West Brom as well next season one more game in the uh, in the Premier League and it was Watford nil Crystal Palace and the big surprise for me that uh, both sides kept clean sheets I'd have banked on this being both score and both sides did have some chances but it just wasn't either of their days and I think the biggest talking point was some criticism for Wilfred Zahara who was booked for diving and had two penalty claims rejected one where he was accused of, of diving of course and he claimed afterwards that even the defender Mariapa admitted after the game it was a penalty and it's a big shame for him because I think the reputation's obviously getting on top of him to a certain extent and I think just the way that he plays and, and he has the ability to draw you into awkward positions and he's so quick and it, it must be frustrating to play against but also to referee as well. That's it and I think that we do 
criticise referees from time to time, but we have to give credit where it's due. And, and as much as I think it was Chris Kavanagh who was refereeing this one, I, th- I think he got the second one wrong. I think it was a penalty, but I think the fact that in the first half he didn't book him for diving was was the right decision. I think a lot of people could have done in that situation. He is so quick and um, the the way that he moves is, is, is so rapid that sometimes a tangle of legs or even he can trip him, himself up and it, unfortunately for Zaha, he does go down in quite a theatrical manner. And that's just something that you can't take out of the player. It's something that he would have done for years and, and, and you're not going to stop that now. But it's easy for referees in that situation to book a player when they don't give a penalty because they think that that's the right decision. But he was big enough to admit after the game that, um, and I'm talking about Zaha here, that decisions could have gone his way in the past and they haven't done. But equally, he's probably done things in the past that he shouldn't have done when yeah. it comes to diving. And as long as he's learning from that, then we are where we are we we don't know what's going to happen with VAR um, and all the time that it's not in the Premier League we're going to have decisions like this and I think that it's um, a good point for Crystal Palace I think that it's it's one more in the the total that that at the moment will probably be be more than good enough to keep them up and as far as Watford are concerned it's it's for them a decent run of form over the last few games which we didn't really expect because they've been on the beach for a long time so a relatively interesting nil-nil and um, I think that both of these teams will probably enjoy the next few fixtures because they'll have much less pressure on their shoulders than they may have had if, if, if results didn't go the way over the last sort of six, seven games. They will indeed and, and that's all for the Premier League. I think it's probably worth a quick mention of the Champions League and Liverpool th- this week uh, beat Roma 5-2 at Anfield and I really enjoyed this game. It was uh, Liverpool at their absolute best certainly for about 30-40 minutes of the game and it did take them a while to get going and, and you know, in the second quarter of that game, they just looked to have Roma figured out, and they couldn't do anything against Liverpool to stop them. They were quick and dynamic, played over and through an, uh, an incredibly high line, and the three main men were again at the forefront of everything they did. Mane missed two, probably the two best chances of the game, uh, and you worried it just wasn't going to be their night. But cometh the hour, cometh the man, as we've said, Mo Salah grabbed two wonderful goals, and the scene was set, and then very quickly they seem to be 5-0 up and, and you know probably an opportunity for more and they let a couple of crucial away goals slip which saw Roma come back to beat Barcelona previously in, in the second leg to progress into semi-finals so you know there's, there's a danger there but you would also suspect that them chasing the game could potentially open it up and, and play into Liverpool's hands I think it's going to be very similar to the second leg of the previous game against Manchester City I think that there'll be all the pressure on the home side to score and it, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them get an early goal but Liverpool love playing on the break so that'll suit them down to the yeah. ground soak the pressure up and they've got enough pace to do it. I think that Roma were naive in the fact that they played such a high defensive line against Liverpool and I expected them to to almost adopt the other tactic and go much deeper against Liverpool because it's the space that the likes of Salah and Firmino and, and Mane crave and, and I think that they got that wrong. It may well be closer at, at, at the end of the second level that leg than Klopp would have liked but I, I'm 100% sure they'll go through to the final. I just don't think that there's any way that they're not going to score over there. Yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, watching Liverpool face either Real Madrid or Bayern Munich come the end of May. But in that tie between them, Real Madrid have the advantage after the first leg thanks to a 2-1 win at the Allianz Arena. And that's come from behind to win the game. Should should be firmly in the driving seat at the Bernabeu. However, 
as we've just said about uh, Liverpool, Manchester City in the last round, and also Barcelona, uh, Roma. Uh, Real Madrid took a lead home against Juventus and very nearly went out as well. It was only that last minute penalty that saved them and saw them progress into the semis. So certainly not all cut and dry yet, but uh, I, you know we await the second legs with real anticipation. Yeah, absolutely. And before we move on from that Bayern Munich game, I just want to have a quick word on Robert Lewandowski, somebody who's been criticised for the lack of um, real impact he's made in the big games in the past. And, and we, sh- we saw this again from him last night. He just doesn't seem to be able to to do much against the big sides and I think that's possibly why the likes of Real Madrid, the likes of PSG, the likes of Barcelona haven't gone for him in in, in previous years and he can do it in the Bundesliga with his eyes closed basically because the amount of chances that Bayern Munich create he's always going to score goals but I just think that's what's stopping him from getting to the next level is is his lack of ability to really create any real um, goal scoring opportunities against these, these bigger clubs. It'd be good to see him in the Premier League. Uh, it wouldn't it surprise would, me. He would have that opportunity. Then, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can you can see him somewhere like Arsenal, maybe not with Aubameyang and uh, and and Lacazette there, but maybe leading the line for Chelsea if Morata goes, something like that. But um, I think his style of play would be suited down to the ground when it comes to the Premier League. It would indeed. Well, that's all for the football roundup. But join us after this break. For the Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast. And before we go to the quiz, we're going to give you a quick update on the scores because there are not many weeks left to impact the overall totals. And it's currently... 30 all. 30 all. Couldn't ask for a tighter contest at this stage. And uh, can either of us get to that magical 40-point mark at the end of the season? Absolutely. No chance. (laughs) virtually impossible. Right. We've done a lot of talking about Arsenal this week, Mitch. And as it's Arsene Wenger's swan song this season, we're going to do the quiz on them. So your first question, as always, you've got a 1,000 either side, is what is the capacity of the Emirates? I don't know. Um, 60,000. I'm afraid that's incorrect. However, you are only 432 off, so you get a no. point. It's 60,432 oh, right, okay. on the nose. Well Good. done, Mitch. Good start. Number two, who is Arsenal's record appearance holder with 722 appearances? Oh. I'll give you another little clue on this one. He only scored 14 goals in that time. Okay. Um, so it's not a goalkeeper, you wouldn't have thought. I can um, confirm it's not a goalkeeper. No, it won't be him. I'm gonna go four on the basis that he didn't score many goals. Lee Dixon. Lee Dixon is incorrect. It's an old Villa manager. David O'Leary. David O'Leary is correct. Yeah, oh, seven hundred and twenty-two right, okay. appearances and fourteen goals. The third question is, who is Arsenal's youngest ever goalscorer who scored at the age of 16 years and 212 days? Uh, is this in the league? Is this just ever? It's ever. It wasn't a league game. Okay. Um, someone like Chuba Akpom. 
is incorrect. The answer is Cesc Fabregas. Oh, right. Okay. Little Cesc, yeah. 16 years and 212 oh, days. Sense, I think it was in a cup game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Question four. What, along with Chelsea, were Arsenal the first club to do in a football match in August 1928? I can give you a couple of clues here because <laughs> it, is, it is a bit of a random one, but ha- just have a, have a bit of a think about it. So it was the first ever football match in which something happened between those two clubs not just between those two clubs but the first game that this had ever been seen before go to extra time no I'll give you one more guess on it because it's not it's not the easiest one no no idea the answer was they were the first teams to ever wear shirts with numbers on the back that was the first thing that came to my head as well oh Mitch you should have said it (sighs) and the final question is all about our mate and yours Arsene Wenger in what season did Arsene Wenger become Arsenal manager? Now, what did you say earlier on in the programme? You said that he'd been there for pretty much all of our football supporting lives. Yeah. Consider when you maybe started watching football, when you first became aware of maybe who he was, that sort of thing. Um, or just think about the numerous news and media reports that have uh, told us how long he's been there over the last sort of five days or so. The... It's, uh, I feel like it's one or the other. I'm going to go with the... Which two do you think it is? The 95, 96 or 96, 97. I can confirm that it's one of those two. Yeah, I'm going to go 96, 97. Is correct. Oh, so God. two out of five for Mitch there. Some tough questions. Um, Very tough. But did incredibly well. So that puts the scores at 32-30 with a few weeks to go. I would like to say thank you to everybody for listening this week. I'm going to sign off there, but Mitch is going to just remind you all of how you can get in contact with us, and you will hear from us next week. Yes, get in touch on Twitter at the Sweep Pod, Instagram, Facebook, the Sweep Podcast, email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. And as ever, get on iTunes and SoundCloud. Reviews, subscriptions are all welcome. And thank you to those of you who did notice the huge clangor in last week's episode. <laughs> I had quite a few. Uh, messages that came through just to let me know that we that we'd left a double recording there so um good to know that you're noticing our mistakes but please get in touch with uh, with a few other bits as well because positive yeah positive <laughs> please we've, we've said a few times we've got um a pretty open mind when it comes to the world cup episodes that we're going to do so we'd love to hear some thoughts on how you want to see those structured and obviously they'll start as soon as the premier league wraps up at the end of this season and i think we've uh, we've got some some things planned for the culmination of the season as well and in, in between the world cup so um again it'd be great to hear some further ideas but I, i've certainly got a, a kind of england memory special in mind um and then obviously a bit of a preview for the world cup too so yeah get involved and uh, join us next week and uh, we'll be back and as ever there will be plenty of narrative I'm sure there will indeed join us then thank you for listening this week adios sayonara Thank you.